Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, December 3rd. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The new hope for creating smart cities. Plus, the logic behind the CDC's new quarantine guidelines. But first, the COVID vaccine's tough distribution journey to rural states is today's one big thing. We're getting closer to the vaccine finish line with three promising candidates. Distributing this vaccine is going to be a challenge everywhere, but especially in states that have large rural areas like Alabama. Here's a few things you need to know about Alabama. November was the state's worst month, with more than 55,000 COVID cases reported. They're getting ready to store vaccines in medical facilities in Birmingham, Tuscaloosa, and six other large metro areas in the state. And Alabama is one of 38 states that has a mask mandate. They also face deep mistrust with the healthcare system, especially when we're thinking about Black Americans. So it's complicated to say the least. Dr. Scott Harris is Alabama's state health officer and has been working on the state's plan to distribute and administer the vaccine. Dr. Harris, I wonder if you can give us a sense of the scale of what you're dealing with? What we are doing is meeting with people all day long from all over the state to talk about the real specifics of how do you handle this vaccine and where in your building do you keep it. These are really tremendous challenges. We're terrified that someone's going to crack open a cold pack of almost a thousand vaccines and then eight hours later they've only given out 10 of them and then we've just wasted that opportunity, you know, and wasted that resource. We still have all these concerns about what's uptake going to be or people actually going to show up and take it when we give it to them, much less how do we handle the challenges of transporting and storing it. In phase one of your plan, healthcare workers and those on the front lines are getting the vaccine first. In Alabama, that's about 290,000 people. What's the plan to vaccinate that group? Everyone who works in a hospital or a doctor's office is important and has a role to play and needs to be vaccinated. But there are some people who literally are risking infection with every part of their job. When you have a pandemic, it's really difficult for us to even say, well, you need to go first and you need to wait. The truth is we just don't have enough to go around. And our initial allotment of the Pfizer vaccine is gonna be less than 41,000 doses. And remember, that's just the first dose. So some really difficult decisions have to be made. You mentioned earlier one of the challenges is whether people are going to even show up to take the vaccine. People don't necessarily trust the medical system, especially the Black community. I'm thinking of the Tuskegee syphilis experiment where hundreds of Black men participated without knowing that they actually didn't receive any treatment to cure the disease. That's what many in the country look at when they think about Black mistrust and Black abuse at the hands of a medical system. That happened in Alabama. I assume as a state health officer, this is something you've worked on since before the pandemic. But I wonder what you're doing now, especially. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The public health infrastructure in Alabama was part of that experiment. That was a terrible thing that happened over decades of time. And we're still living with a legacy of that. We have initially tried to contact people in African-American communities who are trusted voices. These are local public officials who are trusted in their communities. And those are people who need to get the message out for us because we believe that if we can show them the same data that we're seeing and if we can convince them of the things that we've become convinced of that we are going to have a safe and effective vaccine, then that makes our job a lot easier as they communicate that to their constituents. Dr. Harris, thank you for taking the time to speak with us in the middle of all of this. I really appreciate it. Stay safe. Take care. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. 
We'll be back in 15 seconds with the CDC's new guidance on shorter quarantine times. Welcome back to Axios Today. Yesterday, the U.S. hit the highest number of daily deaths since the pandemic began, at least 2,760 people. Yesterday was also the day the CDC announced it's going to be relaxing the guidelines on quarantining in the hopes more people will follow them. For months, the Centers for Disease Control has been recommending a 14-day quarantine period after potential exposure to the coronavirus. CDC has identified two acceptable alternative quarantine periods. That's the CDC's Henry Walk, and those alternatives are a combination of shorter quarantine times of just 7 to 10 days and testing. Sam Baker is a healthcare editor for Axios. Sam, what is the strategy here when we're thinking about these new guidelines? So I think there's some logic to these guidelines. The general theory, I think, is people who contract the coronavirus, most of them would test positive within a week. So the length of that quarantine is, first of all, about the length of time before you start to experience symptoms. And then it's also about how long it would take the virus to show up in your system. So like the day after you get infected, you could get tested and they're just the coronavirus would not have gotten enough of a hold inside of you to show up in the tests. And what are the guidelines now about when you should get tested if you think you've been exposed? So yesterday was the first time the CDC has recommended testing around travel. We've all been doing a lot of precautionary testing before seeing relatives or traveling for Thanksgiving or whatever that may be. And the CDC seemed to sort of acknowledge that reality in its announcement yesterday. And the CDC, to that point of travel, also made a pretty important plea about the upcoming holiday season? Yeah, the plea was to not do it, to stay home for the holidays. And in some ways, I think that's the more important thing that the CDC said yesterday, because that is the best way to protect yourself and avoid taking on the risk that contact with other people brings. Sam Maker is Axios's healthcare editor. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Nyla. Remember the slogan, Build Back Better? That was the big thing from Joe Biden's presidential campaign. And for some city leaders, like Chattanooga Mayor Andy Burke, it means implementing new infrastructure to create so-called smart cities. But the idea of technology-enabled cities isn't without controversy, especially with people who are concerned about the safety and security when big tech takes over. Even with those concerns, this still could be a new hope for the future of smart cities. Jennifer Kingston has been researching this for Axios's Cities newsletter. Jennifer, when you say infrastructure, people's eyes kind of glaze over. But how much of a difference does this make in someone's everyday life? Among the many ways that smart cities can make our lives easier are just in coordinating the timing of lights as you're driving so that you get continuous green lights and you can renew your driver's license and your vehicle registration seamlessly online instead of having to go to a municipal office or worry that the technology is all hanky. And I know from my time living in Chicago, when Rahm Emanuel was the mayor, that this was a huge priority for him. And he is one of the top contenders to run the Department of Transportation. How quickly do you foresee President-elect Biden trying to make policies that will help other cities launch in this way? 
Mayors seem really optimistic that this is absolutely a top priority for the incoming Biden administration, and city leaders are hoping that some form of legislation will come through early on in the Biden presidency to build out this technology, but there are also concerns about the privacy implications might be. So what kind of pushback are you anticipating when it comes to this idea? As much as it sounds like there's the potential for Big Brother applications, the goal is to use the data and the analysis to make our lives easier, not to spy on us. That said, there have been specific examples where this has come up as a concern or an issue. San Diego was out in front with a camera-laden streetlight system, and that kind of blew up into a local issue where people expressed justifiable concern that they're out walking on the streets and suddenly the police can know who they are. So this will continue to be a tension as smart cities are built out. Jennifer Kingston writes the Axios Cities newsletter. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach your team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.